Hello, welcome back to the True Crime Guys podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Michael. How's everybody doing? We got another fun episode this week. No Moida. No Moida. This should be a no fun Moida one where we can make week. a lot of jokes. We got an escape yeah. artist, a prison escape artist. Some would say the most uh, decorated of all of the prison yes. escape artists. Yeah, a lot of people deem him one of the most intelligent prisoners in history. I would. That's, I don't know if I would say... a bold pr- statement, uh, right? I mean, he's intelligent, don't get me wrong. Yeah. A bit of a savant, but more than anything, the, the most determined prisoner, mm-hmm. the most stubborn, determined prisoner I've ever... Uh, even up there with uh, Bronson, who we did. That, that dude, dude, he yes. was spending most of his time doing push-ups and body squats and stuff like that. Less time <laughs> just trying to find ways out. Ted Bundy would be up there, too, like if he had spent more time in prison... Right. Like, also, just any, you leave any tiny little inkling of, like, possibility, and they will find it. Yes, absolutely. They're, they're just, they can't accept being in there. It's just not part of their personality, right? It's like, it, well, yeah. if you if you would have just behaved, you would have only had to do two years. Well, two years is eternity for them. You might as well just give them a life sentence, because they're not doing it. It's, he, he's a bit like a toddler in that way. Like, they just yeah. can't accept except this momentary like this is just temporary they can't know this is forever to me and i've got to get the fuck out of here and with a lot of intelligent people you know there is some type of downside to it and in his in his instance is uh he didn't he didn't really have the best people skills right but he also just couldn't conform he's like i I just can't conform to this i can't just behave i can't do what someone else wants me to do yeah like i would rather i would rather just escape and do things on my own way and then get imprisoned again (laughs) he's one of the more likable uh and understandable characters that we've ever done on this show i mean yes i grew to like him he there's a documentary called the mind of mark defreest mark defreest being the you know person we're focusing on this week yes and uh he's interviewed throughout and he we've you know you've met people like this guy he's just he's different he did like you said he doesn't really like people but he was he had a mechanical mind he could have been a a great uh repairman or something like that just leave him alone let him do his thing right right but he got kind of sucked into the justice system early on and then just never got out. I mean, my tagline that I wrote for this episode is Mark DeFriest, a man that could turn an overnighter in jail into a life sentence, which is essentially Perfect. what it, what happened. I mean, he started out Perfect. with this very benign crime, something that yeah. really wasn't even a crime if he had just waited a little longer, like getting tools that his father had promised to him when he died. Right. He, he turned but- that into an entire life in prison, like taking the tools that his father had promised him before probate was, had done its due diligence yep. um, after his father passed into an entire life in prison and basically torture within prison because everyone in the prison staff ended up hating this guy in whichever prison he went to because he just would not conform, would he not do it. Problem. And they hate that. They fucking hate that. COs and shit, they just despise someone who just can't accept their position. Absolutely. Absolutely. It makes their life difficult, man. They constantly have to be on guard. But that's just Mm -hmm. another example of this man, like, not wanting to conform. All he had to do was just wait. You would have got what's coming to you. But that's just not his style. It's not his style. Mark wants what he wants right now. (laughs) Yeah. But still, like you said, he's still likable. He's still a likable guy, for sure. Like, I like Charles Bronson. You know what I mean? They're likable dudes. Right. So. Yeah, so let's get into this one. It's going to be fun. Let's do it. Well, I'm Mark's wife, the most important person in his life, and he feels the love of his life, as he is mine. And uh, we've been married for almost 14 years this month. We, were, we had just been married a week by proxy when I went down to visit him and met him in person for the first time. He's just got so many aspects to his personality great sense of humor. He's creative, 
very artistic, not autistic, but artistic, very good with his hands. He draws well. If he had just accepted his first brief sentence of four years, he probably would have gotten out, but his personality didn't allow him to do that. I think the only way we're going to be able to get him out is to prove that he has some mental problems and that he never should have been incarcerated. I met Mark about 30 years ago. Of anybody that I know of in, in prison, Mark is probably short of a death row inmate, one of the hardest people to get out because Mark has put himself in about as deep a hole as you can get. And the only way he's ever gonna get out is, is in my opinion, because of his mental health status and that, that finally society, including the Parole Commission, starts to address the issues of the mentally ill in prison. I've done this for over 30 years and I've learned a lot about mental illness. And people can be manipulative looking and clever and they can think and plan and still be mentally ill. And when I use the term mentally ill, I mean psychotic, biologically broken. You'd step back and you look at the big picture. This kid was doing things and not being anxious about doing them that were clearly harmful to his legal situation, even though he appeared to know they were harmful to his legal situation. He was very talkative, even in stressful situations, in interviews after arrests or attempted escapes. Uh, he laughed and joked and was talkative. Uh, after trying to shoot people with zip guns, he was loud and boisterous and rowdy and tore up his cell repeatedly. Frequent complaints about headaches, even at times when it would not affect evaluations. That's an important one. Even in my report somewhere, I said that he was, you know, he used plans and he was organized, but people can be planful in the service of strange ideas. I'm gonna read each of these sentences to you one at a time, and then you're gonna tell me if it's true or false for you. All right, I like mechanics magazines. Is that true or false for you? True. I have a good appetite. True. I wake up fresh and rested most mornings. False. My daily life is full of things that keep me interested. False. I believe I am being followed. Definitely. I feel that I have often been punished without cause. I love my father, or if your father is dead, I loved my father. I am sure I get a raw deal from life. That I'm not sure. That's true. Yeah, Much of the time my head seems to hurt all over. Yeah. I have not lived the right kind of life. Yeah. I often hear voices without knowing where they come from. Oh. My sex life is satisfactory. Oh. Even when I'm with people, yeah, I often feel think I wish I were a child again. When I get bored, yeah. I like to stir up some excitement. I often wish yeah. I were a girl. Very oh. few I'm afraid of losing my mind. Absolutely. My mother is a good woman, or if your mother is dead, my mother was a good woman.
My soul sometimes leaves my body. Smalls, but I've been trying. Lots of hallucinations. I am certainly lacking in self-confidence. Smalls. I would like to be a florist. You're a what? Florist, someone who works in a flower shop. That's it? Well, that's it for the test, yes. I think we'll just end it for today and then we'll start up again tomorrow. If you have any questions... How is all this crap relevant to my mental state? <laughs> well, I suspect if I am right about what I think may be wrong with you, that I may be able to make your life a lot better. Well, it's nice to see you again, Dr. Merlin. <laughs> You're a gentleman to even say it. But, yeah, I'm... Yeah. You said I was a... What was it? You said I was a Melanie idiot? Well, what can I say? There are things that you do and say when you're young that you then decide later were wrong. But where's the fairness in all this crap? I mean, for real, I went to prison when I was, what, 20? For doing a bunch of stupid shit. I ain't never hurt nobody, and here I am still, huh? Done 30 years and got 30 more to go. Well, ain't that nice. The reason I ask all this is because you talk about you being a survivor, but it seems like the things that you think you've done to help you survive have caused you more trouble. And that's what I'm trying to understand. Well, I'm still alive. Lots of people I know ain't. <laughs> but, <laughs> but if you had been able to not do some of these things that got you in trouble with the authorities, might you have been out on the street sooner? Yeah, I've been gone long ago. You know, if I... Just a rapist or a murderer or something, they let me out. I mean, it didn't make them look like idiots. Right, our case this week is Mark DeFriest. Um, and as we mentioned, the documentary, it's called The Mind of Mark DeFriest. I highly recommend it. It's one of the best documentaries that we've ever watched for this case, for any case, really. I mean, it's, right. it's, it reminds me a bit of the... Um, who was the barefoot bandit? Cole, Colton, Harris. whatever his name was. Remember the documentary? I, I yeah. almost feel like it was probably made by the same filmmaker because the Fly way they, Colton the way Fly that, or something like that. Yes. The way yeah. that that was shot and the way this is shot where they mix in animation and stuff like that, that they recreate a lot of the scenes with, right. uh, with animation in this one as well. And it's, it was just super well done. Um, I can't recommend it enough. There's a website where the filmmakers, uh, rent, uh, the, a VOD, for it. That's mm-hmm. what I did. I just paid four bucks to rent it for like three days or whatever and watch it. And I think it's the okay. mind of Mark is where yeah. you can go watch it. And we'll have it in the sources below the episode yeah. as well. Yeah. So highly recommend it. Um, and so he was born on August 18th, 1960 in the tobacco fields of Gadsden County, Florida and shares a birthday with Dennis Leary, Christian Slater and Edward Norton. Wow. A couple uh, of A-listers. Yeah. Right. Good time. Yeah. Seriously? Leary and Norton for sure. And then Slater, underrated actor. Yeah, he had his time, uh, right? True Romance, one of my 90s. favorite all-time movies. Right on, right on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, back to Mark. He was regarded as a savant early on in life. Uh, never much of a people person, as we mentioned. He was into doing experiments in his parents' basement uh, every day, all day long. 
um, yeah. doing chemistry, mechanical engineering as a young teen. He was known as someone that could repair anything. And as he was doing these chemical experiments in the basement, he even had a quote saying, a couple times I blew myself up. Well, that comes which, with the territory. For sure. And <laughs> people have speculated as to what he became as an adult, a very different style of personality. Right. Like maybe um, some of this chemical, chemical um, exposure could have, yeah, could have messed with and his then, mind as well. And we're about to go into another theory that may have compounded it with his mother. Right. His mother, Marilyn, was also known as a, she was known as a cold woman, not a fan of his experiments. She was constantly yelling at him about them. And there was uh, apparently no, no hugs from mom and no, I love yous. It was, she was a very cold woman. And wow. also may have been responsible for what Mark later became uh, because she was allegedly, according to multiple sources, she would regularly shake Mark as a baby. Um, Mark's father would come home from work and she would just be in a rage from him crying and whatnot, not able to deal with it and would, you know, regularly shake him and could have something to do with brain damage. Yeah, um, it didn't help. That's for sure. I'm yeah. surprised he, he grew up as intelligent as he did. Yeah. When you have brain damage, it's, it it definitely can control your impulse control. We've talked about it many times with serial killers. He seemed very impulsive. Like he wanted what he wanted now Mm -hmm. and he was willing to take it. Even if there was repercussions, he didn't care about that. I'm going to do this right now. Right. Um, His father Everett was a very different personality from his mother. Um, He was an older man when he had Mark all the videos and pictures you see of them together. He's, quite older when Mark was a baby. He looked like he was already like maybe even in his sixties by the time he had Mark. Whoa. Okay. At least fifties. Granted this, he went through world war two. I'm sure he aged quickly. Maybe he was like 30. I don't know, but he looked older. (laughs) Right. He lived a hard life. (laughs) He definitely did. Um, but young Mark, young Mark and his father Everett had a very extremely close relationship. Everett was a world war two veteran and OSS member, which was a pre-CIA organization. In 1942, the Office of Strategic Services, the OSS, became the first independent U.S. intelligence agency. It lasted for three years and three months, but became the basis for the modern Central Intelligence Agency. So the precursor to the CIA, his father was a member of. Interesting little fun fact for you. And his father was very paranoid about the Russians, having gone through World War II and the Cold War Mm -hmm. and being, you know, a high-ranking member uh, in the military. Right. He instilled this into his young son, the constant fear of the Russians invading and things like that. Exactly. Yeah. His father, I think his father has to take a lot of credit for some of the the things that he did later on with some of these experiments and things like that. I mean, because he kind Mm -hmm. of pushed him to be, to question everything. And then also to learn these, these crazy tactics of survival because his father was Mm -hmm. so paranoid that the Soviets might take over. So he wanted his son to be completely prepared. His father uh, trained him in war tactics from the time he was, here's some quotes. I was trained from age six, guerrilla warfare, explosions, bombs, anti-tank rockets. Uh, um, rockets. And in regards to scaling barbed wire fences, which is something that Mark DeFries would would use on on the regular as an adult, he said, quote, my dad taught me how to deal with with stuff like that. So he could go over a barbed wire fence. I'm not sure what the maneuver was, but his father had taught him how to do it without cutting yourself up real bad. Right. Uh, can't you just like throw a piece of clothing over the barbed wire? I think I saw that in a movie one time. Somebody took like a jacket sure. and just threw it I mean, over That there. would help. I'm sure it's still going to go through the, you'd have to have some thick, you want like a Carhartt jacket or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure they're giving those out in prison. No, no. But here's a quote, you know, he had a ton of love for his father. He was a big, uh, influence on his life, but he also knew 
you know, his father was crazy. He said, quote, fucking dude was nuts. I ain't never seen a Russian yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, just in case, you know, your dad saw a lot of them. So, you know, yeah. come on now. Yeah. He didn't yeah. know how, how the future was going to pan out. And maybe it was due to guys like his father being paranoid and always, you know, being aware of the threat that helped it to not happen. Mm-hmm. That's right. Being diligent. Yeah. But as a young man, Mark was a free bird and a bit of a troublemaker, uh, but not dangerous. I, I never heard of, um, I mean, there was a few escapes where I guess if you were the, the staff of, of the, you know, the hospital he was in or the prison he was in where you would view him as dangerous, but he was doing what he was doing. He had to create a threat in order to get out, but he never right. intentionally hurt anyone that I could, that I ever heard about. Right. Right. And in fact, he was often, um, beaten up, bullied and, and taken advantage of in prison. And I never heard of him hurting anyone in prison. He just basically right. accepted the role of the submissive in most scenarios in prison, just as yeah, a means he, of survival. He wasn't he was not very, physically yeah, he imposing. Wasn't right. He was not a physically imposing character. Not a not a like he was more of a slender man. And right. just not just like not a violent, yeah, not a anger filled man. Right. A lot different than Bronson in that way. Yeah. Bronson sure. didn't take no shit. <laughs> yeah. He Mark used his uh diligence and his intelligence to escape whereas bronson was trying to use brute force all the time mm -hmm. very different in that way exactly. and bronson was not going to be uh he was not going to be the bitch in prison he was not going to be taking it from anyone else he was no. so no um when mark's parents got divorced when he was younger his mother sent him as we said she was a cold woman um she sent him to a boys reform school couldn't deal with them after his father left uh which he promptly escaped from and this would be his first of many escapes Mm -hmm. in his lifetime i wonder if her like lack of connection with him came from you know him being so different you know him which I mean, she may I'm be responsible saying, for exactly <laughs> for shaking him so much she, not saying that she didn't cause it but i mean mm -hmm. it, you know what for whatever reason as a young child i'm sure he his ability to connect with her as a mother and show affection probably wasn't very strong either right and you know so it was hard for her to you know, retaliate that same type of affection, but that's no excuse. I mean, as a parent, you're supposed to teach your child how to love, not expect yeah. it, but right. still. So, uh, Mark DeFriest, when he was in his late teens, uh, he was working as a welder on a bridge and met a young lady named Brenda while working on the bridge. I'm not sure how that strikes up. You know, maybe there was backed up traffic while he's welding and I don't know, yeah. like maybe <laughs> right. spit some game at her while she was in the car. I don't know how this goes down. <laughs> But pretty impressive. Yeah. And right. they would quickly, you know how it goes back in these days in the in the 70s, uh, young couples, they just get married on a whim. They quickly got married. And I don't even know if they were of age yet. I don't even know if they were 18. Um, but you would know a thing about that yourself. Yeah. And sometimes it works yeah. out just fine. That's right. Obviously. Um, Never know. So they quickly married and began traveling around the country in his Chevy pickup that he kept immaculately clean and organized. Um his his first wife Brenda had a quote about that. She said that he could eat off, you could eat off of his tools. They were that clean and organized in his truck. Wow! And he he later said that the, these were the best years of his life. The first couple of years of their marriage, just traveling around. But trouble started in 1980, and he was life would never be the same. You know what could have oh, been no. a short short stint in in jail or prison if he had behaved became literally his entire life. It all started in 1980 when Mark was out traveling around with his wife and he got wind that back in Florida, his father had passed away and, you know, they had the close relationship and they had similarities in that they loved working on things together and all of that. Right. And so he went back 
uh, to Florida to gather up his father's tools, which he claimed his father had promised to him, um, which I, I believe 100%. Why wouldn't he? Right, exactly. Um, and he his said that he didn't want any... Too. Yeah, he didn't. He said he didn't want any of the money, any of that, uh, the insurance, life insurance policies, none of that stuff was all going to go to his stepmother, and he was fine with that. He just wanted the tools. Um, but he later recalled going back to Florida to get to gather this stuff up. He said, "quote Should have stayed the fuck away from that place because this is yep. where it all began." Uh, yep. When he went back and gathered up the items, they had not gone through probate. He was, I think, eighteen or nineteen at the time. Didn't understand how that all worked. You know, it has mm-hmm. to go through the process when someone dies, you know, the will and testament, all that stuff. If it was in the will that he was to get the tools, which I don't even know, his father might've just verbally said, you can have these, who knows if he even had a will, that right. would have been another problem. Uh, but nonetheless, the, the tools and, and the stuff that he gathered was considered theft because it hadn't gone through probate and his mother, his stepmother, unfortunately called the police. And when the police came out to his trailer in Florida, um, to question him about it, he fled out the back window and made a run for it a very common theme for him throughout his life mm-hmm. rather than just uh, owning up to what you've done. He's runs. Right. Right. Maybe what do you think if he gives the tools back here and waits for the process, you think gets a slap on the wrist? I do. I do. Is it, you know, it could have just been a misunderstanding. Yeah. It could have just been a mis. No, <laughs> nope. <laughs> oh, it's just never good to fight. It's not good to fight the fed, the government, you know, the prison system. You just, sometimes you have to just, mm deal with it yeah. for a little while yeah you got to pick your battles and these tools not not a good battle to fight no. No. and i'm sure he already had plenty of tools you know i know right so mark would be captured in alabama shortly after he ran away from that pol- uh, police officer and would be extradited back to florida where a judge would sentence him to four years in prison prison which is pretty steep considering I- I the crime so. stealing his own so. father's tools that had been promised to him allegedly yeah. But like you said earlier, had he not run away, things might have been different. Right. But he started off on the wrong foot and it never And had there and had there been an actual will, I think things would have been different as well. But yeah. either way, you have to wait on that process. If you jump the gun, then, you know, she can press charges. And a stepmother who's looking to get all the money she can out of this situation. We've talked about it in that. the past how death can bring out the worst in people. Sometimes, you know, the greed kicks in and someone some, someone passes away and everybody starts turning on each other. Yeah. It's and pretty they, sad. they blame it on getting sentimental or whatever. But, yeah, yeah. It, it can get pretty vicious. Meanwhile, they're taking that shit to the pawn shop the first chance they get. Yep. So, yep. so yeah, he gets four years, man. Kind of gets the book thrown at him for pretty uh, harmless crime, really. Didn't, wouldn't, didn't hurt anybody. I mean, his, I'm sure the stepmom was getting plenty from the father's death. Um, but uh, nonetheless, yeah. four years. And he was not going to sit around and just take that four years, unfortunately. It would have been over. He probably would have gotten a you know, lesser sentence had he well uh, been well-behaved in prison. I think so. Not his, not his style, as you said. No. So mm-hmm. not long after getting locked up, one month after incarceration to be exact, on July 8th, 1980, during Tuesday Bible study, um, he, he, him and seven others or yeah, seven others, uh, in prison made a break for it. He said, and I quote, you're supposed to be escorted everywhere you go at night. Eight of us broke camp and hauled ass for the fence. And he was kind of making fun of the other guys cause they couldn't get over the fence and they were calling up to him like, Mark, help, come on, come back <laughs> and help me. me. But uh, he's yeah, like, nah, uh, I, I actually convinced all of you guys as a distraction. So Good luck. Right. <laughs> While they're busy snatching you down, I'm already going to be gone. Right. I'm gone. And, and he, he I may think have. He was, 
I think he was the only one that made it over the fence and out of there through the woods yeah. and would actually run to an old friend's home nearby and hotwired his Ford pickup in the driveway. It was like 3 a.m. Oh, and my God. He made it sound so simple, like popped the hood and like cooked some cables up from the battery oh, to something. Yeah. I don't know what he did, but, you know, he's mechanically inclined to say the least. Right. And had that truck out of there in no time. But he was never good. He, would, he was great at escaping, but then he would never last very long once he got out seems like yeah. law enforcement would catch up with him very quickly. And, and I think this that's is one because he, he probably, you know, wanting to do things his own way, he didn't want to just be on the run. So he thought once he got out, I'm going to do what I want. And, yeah. then, and then the cops were like, okay, well, we're going to find you. Very yeah, easily. you're still in the area at some hotel. And right, exactly. Pretty easy. Driving the same truck you stole that just got reported stolen out of the driveway. Right. Exactly. I wonder what his yeah. friend thought about that. He's like, God <laughs> right. damn it, Mark. <laughs> right. <laughs> if you just told it told me it was you, I probably wouldn't report it stolen. You could, right? Yeah, exactly. Just tell me where you're gonna leave it somewhere, and I'll go get it. Seriously. Um. So only two days later, uh, he would be captured by police at the Driftwood Motel. And at this point, this is where things spiral out of control because now he's yeah. pissed them off. He's escaped from prison, and they throw a bunch of charges on him: uh, burglary, grand theft, possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. Mm. And to these charges, he says, "quote Nobody has a sense of humor." Nope, not in the justice That's system. That's kind of the way he he viewed thing every, everything as a joke. This is a guy that would regularly joke about assassinating the, pre, uh, the president to prison staff. Right. It was literally a joke, but like obviously they had to take shit like that seriously. Oh yeah, absolutely. And he just didn't understand that. He just couldn't understand the severity of life's, you know, decisions that you make. He just it it, it really was seemed like I think people came around to this being a disorder. There was a doctor that was uh, tasked with deciding competency for him. And he plays a huge role in this case. And we'll talk about him in a bit. And it took him 30 years to come around to what Mark is and that he finally accepted like this dude shouldn't be competent because he just does not understand what he's doing to himself. He's like, it reminds me of the breakfast club when Bender's like going back and forth with the, with the Dean, the douchebag Dean. And he's just like giving himself an extra day of detention every day, every second, just because he yes. just is, he couldn't, he couldn't help himself, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's how this guy is, but it's like a far more severe than a day of, uh, you know, a day of uh, detention. Right. I'm talking years of life in prison. Oh my God. Yeah. So again, and against the advice of his attorney in this instance, he would plead guilty to all of the six new charges that were thrown at him. And, he would uh, just get brutalized in jail awaiting his sentencing, uh, awaiting sentencing mm. for this, for these charges. He was frequently beat up and raped. He told his first wife, Brenda, at this point, not to wait for him, that uh, he would surely be a different person when he got out. See, that's, that's she, sad, man. That's disheartening. Yeah. She was interviewed throughout the documentary and she would take his advice and basically, you know, she knew he wouldn't be the same either. Yeah. And this also, I mean, living this type of life in prison and knowing that this is the only life you can live in prison, that that's quite it's quite the motivational tool to escape as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that really puts a little fire up your ass to get the hell out of there. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm. And so he would have a stint in a mental hospital because courts were asked during this time, they asked psychologists to evaluate him for his competency. And there was like, I think, six psychologists that evaluated him and his record right. and everything and they all agreed that he had a myriad of mental disorders like and it's funny because in the documentary he's been interviewed and he's he's asking like the interviewer like do you think i'm crazy because like i don't think i am i think they were wrong right but like 
you know, there's a, there's a whole scale of different types of mental disorders. And one of, he clearly has something going on in that he just, who else could turn such a small crime into a lifetime in prison because they just couldn't stop doing, couldn't stop hurting themselves. Don't they initially find out that he maybe was a little bit on the spectrum, maybe a touch of the, touch of the autism. I never heard that brought up. Uh, as many of the different disorders as they were like, even like psychopath was brought up. Yeah. Which doesn't, I mean, I guess not all psychopaths could, are violent. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously it doesn't necessarily mean we're not violent. expert. Yeah. We're not experts in this field, obviously. Let's make that Absolutely clear. Absolutely not. We don't Absolutely. want to upset anybody theorizing about mental health disorders and whatnot, but they all agreed that he had some severe issues and he was not competent to stand trial for the crimes that he had committed. Right. Um, and at this point he was put in Florida state hospital. Uh, which he described as similar to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, the, the film. Right. He said it was very much okay. like that. Yeah. Um, and of high course, security. With, yeah. Well, I mean, compared to a high, a, a high security prison, it's kind of a joke. He said, quote, they had bars on the windows and all that shit, but it ain't all that tough, right? <laughs> was his quote. <laughs> well, I mean, the um, hospital's not going to be as tough as a prison. Yeah. That's not the point. They're just right. trying to keep people sedated, you know? Yeah. Speaking of sedated, this is my absolute favorite part of this. This this story right here it makes it worthwhile listening to this episode this if you're listening right now. This is amazing. So he gets put in Florida State Hospital. He's deemed in, in, you know in, incompetent to stand trial for crimes and whatnot. He's got right. a bunch of stuff going on mentally. And so he says, quote, my first plan was that I'd get everybody stoned. Nice. And so he wants to get all the staff stoned. And obviously there's a lot of drugs floating around in a mental hospital. And As you can imagine. So, yeah, so he <laughs> he finds himself some blotter acid, aka LSD twenty five. Oh he finds why a bo- do they even uh, have that? They're <laughs> drugging everybody. I don't, that's a good point. I don't know why you'd want these people taking <laughs> LSD, but right. Who knows that's, what they were using it for? It's kind of scary that that's even there. Honestly, right. And so he uh, somehow acquires a whole bottle of this, uh, about seventy five to one hundred tabs worth of LSD. Ooh. And decides he's going to pour this into the break room coffee pot oh and get the whole, he, he said he did, he timed it to where it was right during shifts changed to where some of the people, you know, that are at the end of their shift and the people that are beginning their shift are going to be drinking from the same pot. Oh, he had it no. all worked out and he, he already had worked it out that he was going to pick the locks as soon as everybody was fucked up and yeah. get out of there. Um, now everyone's a mental patient. <laughs> <laughs> now we're all on the same level, level playing right. field here. <laughs> now everybody's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So he says it didn't work because for multiple reasons, like it, the people started freaking out. The staff, he said the head aide w- took, drank some coffee and it kicked in and he was staring at the washing machine at, as it was turning around and around and got freaked out by it and started ripping this thing apart, ripped the door off of the washing machine, was kicking it and everything else. Meanwhile, uh, a red-haired psychologist woman drank some and was going up and down the halls, uh, grabbing her crotch and saying, my pussy's hot. Oh, my God. (laughs) And it was at that point. I guess you can't really forget that, though. (laughs) No. And it was at that point that security realized something was wrong and locked down the whole building. Yeah, something's wrong. Um, But Mark did not get uh, the blame for this. No one did. They did. They never figured out who drugged the coffee pot and obviously they were a little more careful about having wow. just the coffee pot and the break room exposed to the to patients uh, as well as the chemicals i would hope seriously they need way more security cameras in there because right. this should have been an easy an easy investigation how do you not right. how do you how are you well, not filming everything in a mental hospital this was 
hey, this is probably the early 80s, I think, like 80, uh, 81, yeah. something like that. So, I mean, security was security cameras were not really common I back then. I guess not, but, so. man, they had something. Right. Wow. Well, good for him. So, <laughs> Yeah, well, nonetheless, it didn't take Mark long to devise his next plan, which is even more impressive. It involved the wood shop. They had a wood shop at this place where they would, you know, help these patients learn a mm-hmm. trade and whatnot and keep themselves busy. Uh, there's no there's old videos. The they showed the uh, videos in the documentary of like uh, the, the this hospital bragging about how they rehabilitate these people and whatnot. Like this guy's like walking around like, look at they built this they built this bench and everything. And then you <laughs> you roll that into Mark who finds some copper sheets uh, and rolled them around pencils to build to design a two, double barreled gun. And he builds two of these in the wood shop. Oh my god! He used some rolled copper. And yeah. rolled them into barrels for guns, and he would tape one to his genitals, and the other he put between his ass cheeks. He then <laughs> he then used an ice pick to remove one of his own teeth, and got himself admitted to the dental to the dental ward, which had less security. It was kind of outside. You go through some security checks to get there, yeah. and you had to be escorted by two guards to go get the dental work done. God, that's but the he hardest had a plan part of the them. plan right there. Yeah, he had a plan for them. Yeah, he ripped his own tooth out with an ice pick. Yeah. They realized right away in the dental ward that he had, this was self-mutilation, by the way. But nonetheless, they had to, they had to do work to him. Still um, had to fix so they, Yeah, they patch him up, and he's getting escorted back to you know, the main wing of the hospital, and he asks if he can use the restroom. And the two guards make the mistake of allowing him to go into the restroom alone, mm-hmm. at which point he came out of the bathroom with his two double-barreled guns and quickly pointed one of them at each of the guards' heads and wow. said, if you move, I'll blow your fucking brains out. Oh, my and so he subdued and they them. Worked. These guns actually worked. They worked. He demonstrated the power of one of the guns by shooting out the phone in the office before uh, running out of the building. So buying himself some time by shooting out that phone, Damn. which they surely would have. These two guards were the only what? ones privy to what was going on. They would have ran to the phone and you know alerted everyone else. So by shooting out the phone, he bought himself right. another couple minutes. What did he use as a projectile? Do you know? Oh, man, I don't. I don't know if they even broke that down in the documentary. That's what I'm kind of confused about. I mean, I guess I understand the copper tubing and all this shit, but like, mm-hmm. what what did he use as powder, as gunpowder, as an explosive? As you know, what was the igniter? What was the projectile? Yep. That's got so many I don't questions. Know. He was unbelievably crafty. Yeah, he was. God, Probably dang. some sort of batteries, maybe for the powder. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. And then you could craft anything into some sort of a sharp projectile, you know? Right. Some fallout so. shit. More copper, really, you could probably use, right? Yeah. For sure, look like a fallout gun, for sure. It looked like a pipe pistol or something like that. Yep, yep, yep. So he escapes yet again, this time from a mental hospital, and once again, he didn't last long on the outside. Uh, He was caught up to fairly quickly while trying to steal a car, and and this would be the end of his time in mental hospitals for a while. He would be back to prison because the mental hospital no longer wanted to deal with him. Right, right. Which is kind of funny. That's not how this should work. This is not, that's not how this should work. Just because you guys don't want to deal with him doesn't mean he doesn't belong there instead of prison. I mean, well, I think when you have a a hospital patient who can make guns, dude, it's like they have to draw the line somewhere. You know what I mean? I, I, like you said, he's not violent, but at the same time, imagine being someone who works in that hospital and then you have the potential, like, you can't let this guy around copper sheeting like or anything like this guy can't even be around metal 
Like, holy, right. he's fucking Magneto over here. Heck no, like, dude. Making weapons out of everything. Doesn't make oh, yeah. any sense, man. Yeah, yeah you, you, they don't know how to handle someone like dude, that. Dude, he he was uh you you see his skills on display uh through some of the art and like stuff that he designed while in prison that he would send to his his second wife. Yeah. Um they showed his they interviewed his second wife. They went into her home and talked to her. She's a much older lady, but he would send her crafts that he had made. He made these little rocking chair photo holder things. Like a like a I don't know, like a photo frame holder, but it was like a rocking chair and it was super like cool looking, yeah. but it was made out of the, he would use the interior of a potato chip bag and like fold them up into these little diamonds and then secure them. And then they would, he turned them into a rocking chair. It was pretty incredible. That is incredible. Like I can't even imagine that how that made. happened. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like is, this is the, the kind of guy we're dealing with here. The guy is capable of some shit like that and That's making I mean, guns out of... You can't even give this guy potato chips. God damn it. Exactly, see, dude. <laughs> and, and we'll see him awaiting sentencing. Yet again, after this escape, the court then was left. Uh, they then, it seems like they, they handpicked uh, a psychologist slash doctor to determine his competency yeah. uh, intentionally. This guy who they, they, I think, thought would give them the result they wanted. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They yes, picked I a did. guy named Dr. Burland, uh, and they tasked this guy with the question of whether he was competent this time um, to stand trial for what he had done. And despite the other six professionals that had determined that he was not competent, Dr. Burland decided he was. And so now, mm-hmm. you know, he's competent to stand trial for his crimes, and he's awaiting sentencing. And w- during this time, he destroys a straight jacket and ankle shacket, shackles allegedly within five minutes, shredded this straight jacket somehow. He also allegedly destroyed three cells uh, using only a toothbrush. Jesus. He's a modern wonder. I just don't know how he did some of the shit he did. I don't get it, man. How? He also resourceful. This is where he really, really, really fucks himself. He, at this point, constructs a usable gun out of a tube of toothpaste. And when another cell member or like another uh, prisoner asked him if he could, you know, if this gun actually works, he demonstrated it by shooting out what he said was a plastic thing on the wall in the cell. And they then uh, charged him with attempted murder. Someone said that he shot it at this guy and they they charged him with attempted murder. You believe that? Fuck no. Or maybe, maybe though, maybe that guy was trying to take advantage of him and he was like... I got something for you, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and maybe he just did that to threaten him because you're in, I mean, what, you're in an eight by eight cell, Max? It's like if he wanted to shoot him, he would have. Absolutely. Do you enjoy the drama of a good relationship story or judging whether or not someone is an asshole? Then you should check out the Reddit on Wiki podcast where I, Josh Shell, and my co-hosts, John and Sean, react to some of the craziest stories we can find on Reddit. From terrible relationship stories to crazy mother-in-laws, we cover it all every Monday and Friday. So subscribe to Reddit on Wiki on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, bring the tea. So at this point, he was badly mistreated. He was placed in solitary confinement, uh, which in this jail, while he was awaiting uh, his trial or whatever, he this it's still written down. Like they found the records later of what this, the way he was treated within this jail at this point. He was put in a pitch black room with no mattress, no sheets, no water, no toiletries, no toilet paper, no clothes. He was fully nude. And so he had to sleep basically in a concrete box with mm-hmm. nothing. 
and he had to eat his food that he was given each day with no utensils with his hands. He was treated like an animal, not allowed to shower, no yeah. daylight, no no sunlight, no nothing. He was also tortured by the COs who would open up the door and, and spray him with a hose. He was treated like a complete animal. Yeah. The system the system just made him worse, man. The, the, really these, wherever he was at, the staff ended up hating him, and they would basically torture the guy as much as they could. Yeah. But that didn't that just made it worse, honestly. I think that just yeah. inspired him even more to mm-hmm. figure out something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he would be uh, uh then brought in front of a judge and given a life sentence. So that's too much, man. That's too what much. What started out as him taking his father's tools after his death has now spiraled out of control to the point where he now has a life sentence. See, God it's unbelievable. Almighty. You can't tell me this dude doesn't have some shit wrong with him. Like Yeah, I know, right? He he can't be he just can't be caged that way. There's just something yeah, yeah he, he just wasn't dealt with the correct way from the beginning. Yeah. yeah. Granted it's hard to you know, when you're talking about the, the scale and the, the volume of people that are brought into the justice system, it's hard to treat everyone differently and special, you know. And and here's the thing though, like from his first arrest, why would they treat him different? Because he was living a very normal life before then. He yeah. had a great job, he had a great marriage, um, you know, he he was talented. He was he was doing fine in society mm-hmm. before he stole these tools. So why would they treat him any differently? I mean, it just seems like though the system created a monster here. It really he's, did. He, he's like a wild animal that can't be broken. It's like yeah. trying to turn a, a crocodile into a family pet, you know, or something. I don't know. He's not obviously. Yeah. Da- we've brought up how he's not really a dangerous person per se, but he, he's he just, just unable be to be caged. He's unable yeah. to be caged. Um, the only way you could cage him is in the instance where like, like they did in the concrete block with nothing. Cause if you give him anything to work with, he's going to find a way. Yeah. I couldn't even give him he's clothes. that crafty and that determined. Yeah. If you gave him clothes, he'd probably find out a way, uh, find a way out of concrete <laughs> cell. You'd probably right? use like, those clothes to bend the bars or something. Yeah. <laughs> Craft like a knife or a gun out of them together. Yeah. Make a shiv. I don't know. Right. <laughs> he'd find a way. I don't know. He would. So as if things didn't seem to like they could get any worse, he was then sent to the notorious Florida State Prison, or FSP, as they call it, where he was allegedly gang raped upon arrival by 15 inmates. Oh, my God. His stories within FSP are brutal. Um, And while there, he would rack up a staggering 209 disciplinary reports, which has to be a record, and numerous escape attempts. Um, he was on the regular making fake keys, saw blades, like acquiring saw blades to try and saw his way out. Right. It was never him hurting people. All of these 209 disciplinary reports, I don't think any of them were like him hurting someone else or anything like that. It was just him not following the rules, him, him trying to get out is all it was. Yeah. God. He's also, you know, trying to get fucked up anytime he could, acquiring drugs and alcohol. Um, yeah. Trying to occupy whatever his he could mind. Do. Make yeah. dis- making radios. I, th- I think it, uh, several occasions he made like a radio so he could listen to the radio. He that was some shit wow. that he got really good at when he was a kid. Was yeah, like making transistors and things like that. Right. That's kind of like the first things that those type of like tech tech gurus and stuff start dealing with. You know, start taking AMF apart clocks and radios. And radios. Yep. 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 That's where it starts. Yep. yep. Um, so due to the unbelievable amount of disciplinary reports, Mark's projected parole went from 2002 to 2040. Dude, that's that's too much. He turned a life sentence, quote unquote, which is, you know, 25 years or whatever into a true life sentence. Now, I mean, you're talking him being locked up from 1980 till 2040. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And 
while in FSP. Um, he became the uh, love partner of a Cuban man named Uno, who mm -hmm. they called Uno, who became Mark's boyfriend slash protector. This was a submissive dominant relationship with Uno right. being the dominant. And uh, Mark had a quote about this. As long as you, I follow his bizarre set of rules and behave like a lady at all times, he treats me fairly well, I guess. And he had to be called Wendy Castro during this time. You have to think with him being Cuban, the Castro name. We know where right, that came from. Right. Yeah. And basically he was okay with this relationship because it kept him safe from other inmates. So he's getting raped by one guy as opposed to as many as who knows how many within right. that prison. But he's doing what he has to to survive at this point. Yep. Mm. And uh, he was allegedly transferred multiple times over the years to undisclosed late locations. In 1999, Mark witnessed the fatal beating of Frank Valdez, who had been convicted of murdering a correctional officer. And uh, Mark would be a few cells away and confirm the, uh, the medical examiner's conclusion that Valdez was beaten to death. And so for his protection, he was transferred to a prison in California, which had to be better than FSP for sure. Okay, so he witnessed some. I'm CO's guessing he witnessed the CEOs Valdez. beating this guy to death. Yeah, yes. because and then, that, that makes 100 percent considering this guy had had murdered a, a correctional officer. So, right. of course, this was their get back. Right, and then they can't leave this guy to testify in court. So yeah, okay, I see what you're saying. Because so now they're just going to target him next. The CEOs are going to kill his ass. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. Or he's going to commit suicide, quote unquote, mm -hmm. in his cell. Right. <clears throat> so. Uh, yeah, so he's transferred to California. Meanwhile, while in prison, Mark would marry again, the love of his life, a woman named Bonnie, who became Bonnie DeFriest uh, a week before they'd even met in person. So they met through a pen pal list. She was yeah. a much older lady. Wasn't um, she like 30 years his senior? She was it, much older. It, I don't know her, her age, but she seemed every bit of it when you see them together. Okay. She, I mean, she's uh, in, in the documentary. I think the documentary was made in like 2014, The Mind yeah. of Mark DeFriest. And she was like, elderly like to the point where she had like a cane and things like that like she had to have been in her 70s yeah so yeah that, I think during that, this time mark was maybe in his 40s something like that see what i mean yeah i'm pretty sure yeah. i read somewhere that it was she was 30 plus years his senior mm -hmm. nonetheless they seem to ha have a great relationship um wrote and called to each other constantly at conjugal visits even on occasion i believe um, and they remain married to this day and it's been her life's mission to get him released from prison for time served based on his mental illness, which seems fair to me at this point. He's not a dangerous yeah. person. That right. being said, he's probably going to go out and commit more shit, which we see later on. I mean, mm -hmm. like harmless crimes other than to himself, but still right. unlawful. Right. Um, she had a quote, which I think sums this whole case up perfectly. If he had just accepted his first brief sentence of four years, he'd be out, but his personality would not allow him to do so. Mm. Th thus lies his condition of just... It's just, there was just no way he was not going to get more years added on. It's impossible no. for him. That's heartbreaking. Yeah. And we mentioned the artwork earlier. His, he dis, she displays all of the cards that he's made for her and like the artwork and the projects he's done and sent her. And they're, they're, I was blown away by all of them. They, he's an amazing artist with drawing and coloring and also like building. He's just, oh, of course, guy has so much potential. Yes. So much. He potential. just had that type of brain, man. His brain just worked. Yeah. He was a creator. Yeah, it it's too bad he didn't go into like being like a tattoo artist or something like that that he could have really funneled his attention into. Right. Yeah, or an engineer or something, man. Yeah. Inventor. Yeah. Mm. So 
while at FSP, the uh, Florida Parole Commission was evaluating Mark's case every two years. And of course, he would never get parole because he just had so many disciplinary reports. Every every time they would evaluate it after two years, there'd be, you know, 50 plus uh, disciplinary okay, reports. Yeah. Right. And, and you can't, that doesn't look good. You know what I mean? They're bringing up this right. huge laundry list of stuff he did wrong. It's like you can't mm -hmm. even make the argument that he's a model prisoner. No. Ugh, it's frustrating. Yeah. Um, he never stood a chance until Dr. Berland, who had decided his fate prior, saying saying that he was competent to stand trial, changed his mind about Mark's competency after 30 years. He was he played a big role in this documentary. He was interviewed throughout. He even interviewed Mark at one point um, 30 years after they had first encountered each other when he decided Mark's fate and sent mm -hmm. him to prison. Um he sits Mark down in, a, in an office within the prison and interviews him and says, do you remember me? You know, I, I helped you get put away 30 years ago. And Mark mm. didn't hold a grudge. And, and Dr. Berlin was kind of blown away by that. Like, um, I think Mark even thanked him for like sitting him down and like, you know, thanks for coming around on this. And he was like, you're, you're uh, quite a gentleman for even saying that. Cause I think at this point, Dr. Berlin felt terrible for the way things had gone for this guy. I mean, he'd been right. put in, I mean, he spent most of his time, uh, in prison in I mean, the vast majority in solitary confinement, because how can you have him out there in general population? You know, he's going to devise something. He's going to work together with other inmates and make some shit happen. Yeah. Even it's like you, I would love to argue. Why don't they just give him something to do? Right. Why don't they give him a job? Why don't they give, because he's just going to use that shit to escape. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's it's frustrating. It's like he doesn't deserve this, but at the same time, I, I can almost empathize with the with the with the CEOs as well because yeah. it's like he's making their life a living hell, and he's yeah. putting other people in danger, and that's yeah. that's easily you know that's easily justified in court. Yeah. So I don't know, man. It's a tough situation. The justice you get, system. You give him an him, inch, but, he'll take a mile every time. Yeah, this guy, right? Yeah. It's tough. It's. It is tough. It's almost like he should have just been like once they learned what he was so long ago, they should have like had him on a some sort of a I don't know, I'd say I'd say parole program, I guess, or yeah. but it's like at the same time, like you're gonna check in on him and he's probably gonna be doing some shit he's not supposed to. <laughs> he's not gonna stay in one place. Like if you say right. you're the the uh you know, the restrictions of your parole state that you must stay in this same town and you know, keep a job and this he's just not gonna do that stuff. He's probably gonna be no. gone and then you're gonna have to put him back in prison again. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Damn it, Mark. Yeah. So in the documentary, Dr. Berlin visited him in prison and asked him many questions designed to, designed to evaluate someone's mental state. Um, and Mark said that he's had frequent headaches from the time he was a child. Quote, if I sleep more than four hours, I wake up with a monstrous ass headache. Mm. And that's been a part of his life forever. May go back to the shaken baby syndrome that his mom was responsible for. Right. Um. In the last 15 years, efforts to persuade the Florida government and parole board to release DeFriest have included petitions started by his wife, Donnie DeFriest, legal representation of John Middleton, psychiatrist Robert, Dr. Uh, uh, Dr. Robert Burland, um, his recanting of his assessment of DeFriest in the 80s, and outspoken positive reports from former warden of FSP, Ron Mc, McAndrew. So the former warden of Florida State Prison was interviewed throughout this, and he spoke to the mistreatment of... Mark DeFries during his time there. He has countless reports of the medical staff there saying that he had tons of, you know, bruises and cuts and everything else from the staff abusing him. Right. Nick Andrew knew exactly what was going on. He was the warden of this place. He knew that he, this guy was just being mistreated for years at that prison. Mm. But he um, just, 
he couldn't do anything about it though because like i say he's they're they're trying to make sure that he's safe and keeping other yeah. prisoners safe as well you know yeah they didn't know if mark was going to hurt himself i mean this guy removed his own tooth you know what i'm mm-hmm. saying like it's crazy yeah so Mark's parole hearing on November 19th of 2014 in Tallahassee saw the unprecedented reduction of his potential release date from 2085, which he had racked it up to with all of those disciplinary reports, mm. to March of 2015. So oh. you're talking potentially a few months from when this hearing was. And this would have made it possible for the release date of March 2015, but additional outstanding sentences for co- cocaine, marijuana, contraband possession, and armed robbery were uh, not first considered. And... Mm. So, of course, it got pushed back. And finally, he would be granted parole on February 5th, 2019, with one of the conditions being that he spent 12 months in a mental health uh, and substance abuse treatment facility. Community Outreach Incorporated in Corvallis, Oregon, was agreed upon due to his proximity to Bonnie's, uh, Bonnie's home, his second wife. Right. And so he entered the facility on February 7th, 2019. And by February 13th, community outreach revoked his residency due to unspecified behavioral violations. This raised the question of whether the Oregon facility was appropriately informed, prepared, or capable of providing him with the treatment structure and care that he needed for a successful transition into public life, as mm-hmm. did the revelation that DeFries tested positive for methamphetamine at the facility. Not to say, at this point, he is probably addicted to lots of things, and... Mm-hmm. At this point, you know what I'm saying? Somebody with this type of intellect, they're going to figure out how to get those things. Oh, yeah. And it's like, yeah, this hospital may be able to keep them away from, from an average person by keeping them isolated or whatnot, but now Mark has a new goal, and it's not so much to escape. I think he's accepted his, his life in in lockup or whatever, but he can't shake these this addiction. And I think that's probably the unnamed you know, the unnamed violations is that he's probably obtaining methamphetamines and everything else or making his own somehow. Right. And, you know, just trying to get high, trying to numb himself at this point. Yep. I mean, this is a guy that spent uh, nearly 25 years in solitary confinement. I just don't know if there's a way to transition him back to normal reality. I don't know. It doesn't seem like it because if, if there was, this was his one chance and he blew it. He blew it. You know, yeah. the director, the director of this facility described him as exhibiting bipolar mania. And as the behavioral issues and drug, drug use were violations of his parole, Oregon began his transfer back to the Florida state prison system only 10 days after his release. And although advocates were initially optimistic for a quick release and second try as of 20, uh, January 20th, 2022, DeFries remains incarcerated in Florida. And if he ever sees the light of day again, it probably won't be for long because he's just, yeah. I don't know. Like you say, at this point, person. at this point, he's been in prison so long. He's been out of the world for so long, and he can't he can't even conform, even with all of these horrible punishments, these horrible consequences, and and he still can't he still can't make it. I mean, I, like I say, I think it the system is partly to blame. You know, maybe some of his mental disorders are partly to blame, but either way, it's it's very frustrating, man. This is this is a a career criminal created by the system, you know, and a lot, I think there's a lot of, I still don't think he deserves a life sentence though. I, he, well, what do you do? Anyone. What do you do? I don't know. I don't know what you do, man. I don't no. know. Uh, I mean, other than, I do think if you let, if you just set him free, like no restrictions, do what you want. What do you think happens? You think he, I, I mean, does he hurt anyone? 
Um, I don't know. I at this so. point, at this point, he probably overdoses. Possible. I think you know if he is still addicted to all these things, and like even in this, even in this mental facility, he was still tested positive for methamphetamine. Like that's insane. Within yeah. a week of being transferred, he, he was transferred on February seventh, right? Like you said, and then February thirteenth. That's six days later. Yeah. He he he's already. They've already canceled the deal. They're like, no. Nope. Yeah. We can't deal with them. Six days. So yeah. how is this man supposed to spend 12 months here? It's yeah. it's just not in the cards for him. It's just not in the cards. Yeah. He has to do things on his terms, apparently. Well, all in all, he apparently escaped prison slash mental hospitals seven times, which is insane considering, like, you're talking prisons like uh, Florida State Prison, high mm-hmm. security situations. He, he discussed a story of where these guys came to him. I think it was at FSP where... They came to him and they're like, "Hey, we're trying to escape." And he's like, "Sweet, let's do it. What's the plan?" And they're like, "Well, we got this saw blade. They had like a diamond blade, like a diamond coated saw blade." And he's like, "What the fuck are you guys still doing here?" <laughs> he's like, yeah. "We went to the cell." <laughs> and he's like, "Within eight hours, I had the bars cut out with this fucking blade, and I was out of there." <laughs> like, of course, they caught up to him quickly, but right? Yeah, he's something else, man. That's yeah. that's crazy. If he just, I mean, like you said, from the initial arrest. If he could have done, I don't think he even does a year, honestly. If he goes in there in good behavior, you know, in a low security prison for. Well, I think, I don't even think he gets arrested if he, like, when the officer comes to his trailer after he took his father's tools, if he comes out, talks to the officer and said, I didn't understand how this works. All I know is my dad said that he was going to give me these tools when he died. He died. I yeah. came and took the tools. I don't, I'm 18. I don't understand whatever right. this probate shit you're talking about is, blah, blah, blah. I'll give them back until this gets settled. I don't think yeah. anything happens. Nothing. Yeah. Worst case scenario, maybe some probation or something. Yeah. They, they keep an eye on them. Right. Right. Maybe a, a uh, like some type of warrant to stay away from his stepmother for a little while. Yeah. Some At sort of protection max. order or, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I don't know. Wow, man. What a heartbreaking Certainly story. not life in prison. <laughs> no. Not life in prison, man. Fuck, it's kind of... It's kind of like the Ross Ulbricht story, man. You know, somebody who wants to do things their own way, an extreme libertarian. I think I I can't believe autism was never brought up because it does seem like that fits the most with him Mm -hmm. to me as someone who doesn't understand. But like he just didn't know what was best for him at times, but also very talented and smart in many ways. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Almost needed like a caretaker, something, but like. That's a difficult task for anyone. Absolutely. He was and, that clever. Obviously he's escaping prison, so like good luck keeping a hold of this guy. Exactly. Exactly. He just needed uh, to live life on his own terms and unfortunately like this guy probably would have done really well like living off the grid in Alaska, you know? Just just go out oh, middle of fucking nowhere where there's Maybe they should have just rules. taken him up there and just dropped him off and he'd have just a fucking cabin built with electricity and everything <laughs> in no time. <laughs> have his own power plant. Yeah. Right? Yeah, he would have been fine. Sometimes, yeah. uh, you know, like like I say, non-violent offenders, non-sexual offenders, I don't know, man. There's got to be better ways to deal with these people other than just keeping them in cages for their whole life. Yep. It's got to be. It's got to be. But amazing story. Yep. Absolutely, dude. Mm-hmm. The documentary is amazing. There's lots of information out on this guy. Like we said, all of our sources are down below as well as links to our sponsors. Right? Like Oh My Gaia. Like Oh My Gaia. Oh My Guy is an innovative, all-natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. 
and their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while still maintaining effectiveness. And at Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural, paraben, and aluminum-free organic ingredients. And guys, we have our very own scent from Oh My Gaia called True Crime Pine. If you'd like to check that out, you can at OhMyGaia.com. There's also vanilla, cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, coconut, dreamsicle, uh, barbershop. That's another one of my favorites. Sailor, sweet pea, pear, bergamot, amber. So there's definitely something to fit your to fit your vibe to fit your mood. There's also um, scented oils as well as beard oils too. So guys, if you're doing the no shave November, you need some beard oil. Check it out. OhMyGaia.com. That's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com. And because you're True Crime Guys listeners, you can use the word Creeper for 15% off your order. That's C-R-E-E-P-E-R for 15% off at shop underscore OhMyGaia on Instagram or OhMyGaia.com. Again, that's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com. Make the switch, guys. You won't regret it. Absolutely not. Um, I've been rocking the beard oil, the beard oil from Tonic. Yeah. Or uh, from not from Tonic, from Oh My Guy. I'm already <laughs> right. transitioning into the next sponsor. Right. Uh, but yeah, dude, I, it, it really makes a difference. If you don't do any oil or wax or anything in your in your beard, you, you got to. It just softens it up, makes it easier to comb and stuff, especially when it gets to a certain length, which mine, I'm, I'm going for the gusto this time. I'm going to see how, how big I can get this thing. There you go. That's what there she you go. said. Why not? <laughs> Why not there, mountain man? Yeah, so let's check out uh, Tonic Vibes as well, which is our weekly sponsor. Uh, they're they're uh, providing you with CBD, CBD education, yes. their products, uh, 20% off if you use code word creeper at checkout at tonicvibes.com. We use this product daily. It helps with anxiety. They combine different uh, herb superfoods into their uh, CBD, which is different than a lot of CBD companies. They're combining ashwagandha and black seed oil and... Mm-hmm. Uh, lemon balm and all sorts of different things into these to help you with anxiety or whatever you're dealing with chronic pain cbd has a, a just a variety of uh, useful cases so if you haven't looked into it look into it tonicvibes.com code word creeper at checkout for 20 percent off uh highly recommend it that's right guys that's right yeah all right also check out patreon patreon.com slash true crime guys you can get access to everything we make here at true crime guys productions on um, the $2 tier, you guys can get access to the first 50 episodes of the podcast that are now in the TCG vault, as well as Patreon exclusives that we do every single month. And then if you bump up to the $5 tier, you also get all of that, plus access to Just the Banter. There's almost 100 episodes of Just the Banter between me and Lauren where we answer listener questions, we just shoot the shit, whatever. It's not a, not a lot of crime, but it's obviously a lot of banter. We also got uh, Sandu Stories which we do is a, a well-produced, or a, a, we call it like a, a listening to a movie, if you will. Our Sandu stories, audio they're theater. based on... Yeah, audio theater. They're based on true crime stories, most of them. Uh, it's like true crime what if, if you will, as well as strange shorts with uh, myself and Andy, where we just talk about funny cases and funny stories that are happening in true crime every single Monday. And you also get early access to our other show that you can catch on a free platform, Strange and Unexplained. You can listen to that wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out Strange and Unexplained by True Crime Guys. And you can get early access to those episodes every Thursday instead of on Mondays. All right, again, that's patreon.com slash Guys. There's links right below the description of this episode. All right. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Keep creeping. That's right. Oh, go subscribe on YouTube and watch the video. Oh, yeah, check episode. out the YouTube page. We're uh, just about at 800 subscribers, so I think we yeah. need two more to get over that. So let's let's get there and then start marching towards 1,000. Sounds good. All right. All right, guys, keep creeping. Keep creeping, guys. Keep creeping.